Hello, it's Debbie McGee and I have spilled so much tea in the first series of Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee, I'm going to spill some more. That's with my show business friends with stories from their life in show business. The ups, the downs, oh, and the very funny. So join me for series two. Spill the Tea podcast with Debbie McGee. Hello again for another edition of Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. And uh, as you can probably hear, I'm laughing already. My next guest, well, he is a one and only, a one-off. They broke the mould when he was born. And some people would say, thank heavens for that. But not me, because he makes me laugh. And I'm sure he'll make you laugh too, because it's the wonderful Joe Pasquale. Spill the Tea. The person I'm spilling the tea with today, I've been a fan of for such a long time. See, he's making me nervous. It's Joe Pasquale. Hi, Joe. Hi, Deb. I don't think I'm making you make me nervous, love. Surely not. <laughs> so we've all been in this very strange, weird world and scary world for you know the past year or so. Yeah. Everybody's had different ways of coping with it. Now, sort of 2019, you were getting yourself really fit. Yeah. Oh, I've seen pictures of you online with a six pack. So have you have you been able to keep that up or did the motivation go? No, the motivation, I, I did about two weeks of doing nothing the first two or three weeks, you know, back last March. And then because I was all going, oh, it'll be back in three weeks time. But obviously it wasn't. And then I, you know, I stussed it out in my own head. This is going to be a lot longer than three weeks. So I've run religiously every day. Not, not every day, but I'd say good five days a week since we locked down. And I've got my own weights in the living room. Then I've got a couple of little dumbbells, a little bench, and uh, I've kept it going. I don't look like, you know, I don't look like um, Tarzan or nothing, but I've kept this, kept my weight off. That was the whole thing. I just didn't want to get fat, Deb. Yes. When you're working as well, people don't realise, if you're doing panto as well, you're doing two shows, 12 shows a week, physically you have to keep the energy up. So the last thing I want to do is, is not be match fit when, you, when it does come back. Absolutely. And I think, you know, most people in our business have been like that because we're all used to having to be on it anyway. And we realise, my gosh, all these months and we're not running around like we normally are. No. But for us, no, everyone can see it. You, if you go back on the telly, somebody goes, oh, he's been eating a few pies in the past year, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And something to say about it as well. So when we went into that first lockdown nearly a year ago, what were you up to then? I was doing, what was I doing? I was doing some others do ovens. Still back on the second tour of that. We did a tour uh, two years beforehand and it, it did okay. And then Quentin Letts came and saw it and gave us a five-star review and then it took off uh, right towards the end of the tour. So the producers went, let's put it out again. So we was really so excited about doing it. And to be honest, it was the best thing I've ever done. <clears throat> it was also the hardest thing I've ever done because it was, uh, there's 128 pages of dialogue and I was on 126 pages of that. It was, it was like learning war and peace. And physically, the stunts in it was falling downstairs and God knows what else. And I loved doing it. And, and it took us ages to get to that point where it just got, you know, that bit where you rehearse it so much. And you're on the road for three weeks and we just got it right. And they went, OK, it's off now. You go, oh, no. Yeah. So that was what it was. But we, thankfully, uh, it's back on next year now. That's something to look forward to. You're such a funny guy. <laughs> and lots of people listening to this. I love you. You make me laugh. I just need to look at you. <laughs> Where did it all begin, Joe, for you? You know, how did you get into the business? 
Well, what happened was I got a job at um, a holiday camp. Before I started in, in holiday camp, I was, uh, what did I have to do? I was in the Department of Transport and Environment, Dangerous Goods Branch. I didn't do anything dangerous. I just photocopying and making the tea. Then I became um, uh, Smithfield's a meat market. I became what they called a humper. It was, it was great. And every week you'd get a big lump of chicken and, or if you're not a lump of chicken, you'd get a chicken. Uh, and then you always get a big lump of beef as well. And I loved it. Uh, uh, and oh, I, I couldn't believe my mum loved it. Uh, and because, you know, we, she can afford that sort of meat. Mm. We get half a cow on a Friday. And, and I'd go down the A13 on my moped uh, on I like, what's something called a, a Yamaha FS1E, which is a, used, used to be called a fizzy. And every Friday, he's got nothing to do with show businesses, but I like this story. And every <laughs> Friday, we'd get a chicken and it was unplucked as well. It had a beak on it, a head, it had legs, it had all feathers on it and fur. Not that the chickens are furry, but they had feathers, you know. And on one handlebar of my motorbike, I'd have the chicken. And on the other handlebar, I'd have a big lump of beef. It was like 10 pounds of beef in there. And in weight, I mean, I don't mean in, in monetary value, in weight. And so I'd have to be really balanced on my moped going home like that. <laughs> one day, the chicken was on the outside uh, uh, on the outside of the handlebar and somebody's windmill had clipped my chicken in the bag and it knocked my chicken off. And of course, I'm overbalanced now. I've got 10 pound of beef on the other handlebar. So I'm going to lean, it, lean across the other way to balance the moped. And everybody's bibbing me up down the A13, going, oh, no, 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 I'm doing the best I can. And I didn't know till I got home that the chicken had come out and it had bounced down the road and it got stuck in my mud guard. And oh, it, looked, no. it looked like I was being chased by a chicken down the A13. And of course, I got home, half of it was cooked on the, on the exhaust pipe. And so, of course, I kept saying, what's happened to this? So I saw it stuck on my mud guard, Mum. And she cut that bit off. And we had it still had it for Sunday lunch. <laughs> it tasted of, of, of WD-40. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> so, what happened? That's got nothing to do with what you asked me. Uh, what happened was, <laughs> what happened was, I got a job at um, a holiday camp at Lowestoft, in actual fact. I think you, you and Paul came there at Colton in Lowestoft. Yeah. I used to work the spotlight there and all that malarkey and just and just call the bingo. And um, I, I couldn't do a lot, really, because I didn't have an act or anything. I just started refereeing wrestling. And mm. I was a lifeguard as well. This is a great story. This is, I was a lifeguard, right? And <laughs> you only had to swim a couple of yards because it was only like 20 feet long. And it was only three feet deep. As long as you weren't going to drown, as long as taller than three feet, you could be a lifeguard. That was it. And it was full <laughs> of other people. And this bloke, um, he had a glass eye. Everybody knew he had a glass eye. Right? Well, like not all, all, the, all the punters didn't know, but I knew this bloke had a glass eye. And, uh, of course, he dives in and he dives in. He's only got one eye, so he's only got any field of vision properly. He dives in, bangs his head on the, on the bottom of the pool, and he comes up, he's got a bit of concussion, and he doesn't know because he can't see that eye. He's lost his glass eye, right? So all the other people in the swimming pool, they all scream, going, he's lost his eye. And they don't know it's a glass one. And he don't know it's gone because he can't feel it because it's a glass eye. And he's going, no, don't worry, it's a glass eye. But all these women are screaming, going, he's lost his eye. So it's, don't worry, it's glass. So of course it was blue, which is the same colour as the bottom of the swimming pool. So no one could see it because it was the same colour. So all these old ladies got out screaming and I'll get in the pool looking for this bloke's glass side, but you can't diving underwater, you know, your vision's impaired anyway. So with me and this bloke, we're, we're walking about and we're trying to you know, find his glass side with our feet. And I've got it, right? I actually got it. I found it with my, and I picked it up. But I picked it up with my toes. I got it stuck in between my big toe and my next one. And, and I, I lifted my foot out of the water. I went, look, I found it. And I gave it to him. And he picked it out of my toes. And he just popped it back in his eye. And I thought, if, I, if I've got a Veruca, he's going to have one of them on his eye in a week's time. It'd be great. Um, so after that, uh, I went on new faces. And um, I, come, I won the heat and come second in the grand final. I didn't know what I was doing. 
And then one night, I was um, I got booked after New Faces to a plate of Blazers at Windsor. Remember Blazers at Windsor? I do. I worked there. Yeah. You must have worked there loads of time with Paul. Well, I, I did this gig. I was supporting Grace Kennedy. Do you remember Grace? I do. Yeah, I backed her when I was a dancer. Yeah, oh, lovely lady. Oh, it was years ago. This was. So I had to do. I was supporting that, and I was down to do forty-five minutes. But I didn't have forty-five minutes. All I had was a five minutes I did on the telly. So I went out and did my five minutes. I came up and they went, "That's great," but within another forty minutes. So I went, well, that's all I've got. They all thought I was an established act after doing New Faces, and I wasn't. I used to call bingo and, and referee wrestling. That was it. So my agent at the time, who you knew, you must have known Michael Vine. Do you remember Michael? Yeah. Michael was my agent at the time. As you know, he used to be a, a magic act. And so he came in the next day with me, and he went, right, listen, you've got to come up at 45 minutes. And he gave me this trunk of old magic props. He said, this was my act. And there was linking rings in there and cards and God knows bits and pieces and clatter boxes, all this sort of stuff. He went, just go out and do that. So I was like, how's it work? He went, I don't know. And he showed me how the tricks work to cover and go out and do that. And the next night I went out and did about 20, 25 minutes with these old props. And by the end of the week, I had about 45 minutes of Michael Vine's old act. And that was way, that was way to develop. But I didn't know what I was doing. 30 years later, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you have a great time and so do we watching you so when when you were growing up who did you have somebody you like a comedian or a singer or somebody that was you know your idol yeah i had a lot um you know you're gonna hate me well you're not gonna hate me well i had paul daniel's magic book for a start because that christmas one year so i was like that oh this is great uh, and you know it was just all the stuff in there about elastic bands over your fingers it was all yeah. that do you know what i mean it's all the basic stuff but i loved it so growing up, it was it was the greats for me. It was Tommy Cooper, it was uh, Ken Dodd, it was Bob Munkas, it was uh, it was all of the all the great people that, that we know and love still today. Uh, Eric Malcolm, it was all of that kid. And, and thankfully, I just came in at the last point uh, while they were still at their height, and you know, uh, with Paul as well. And I don't know if you remember um, uh, the Lady Ratlin's ball about thirty years ago. Um, I don't know if you remember this, I did the cabaret there with Rene and Renato. I think I died on my backside that night, but afterwards all the props were all over the floor. And you know what it's like when you're working on your own, your props are everywhere. Mm. And you, uh, once you've really struggled, oh, and I've got to go out in front of them and pick my props up. And before I had a chance to go out, there was a knock on the dressing room door and I opened it and Paul, the first time I met you and Paul that night, and Paul was there and he had all my props in his arms. I don't know if you remember that. He cleared the stage for me. He went, I know it's like working with props. You don't want to go back out there again. And he just put, and I was like, that, this is amazing. Paul Daniels cleared my props for me. It was like that. I'd arrived. That's what it was like. He would help everybody. So it doesn't, yeah, and I do rem I do remember that. I remember him getting up on the stage. Because you had so many. I know, it just looked like a bonfire, didn't it? It was terrible. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I mean, it's fantastic, Joe, from starting, you know, as you say, like a red coat and reading the bingo numbers and all of that to what you then developed your act to. And then, you know, you've all these successful tours that you've got yeah. under your belt. Yeah. And then the other things it's led into and all your television and, you know, the price is right, you did. Yeah, we did 180 episodes of that. And yeah. I, I still love it. It's a job. And I do look at it as a job. It's a job that I love. So I never put the pressure on myself that that uh, a lot of um, artists and not comics do because I spent 10 years before I started doing it. I had 10 years in, in real jobs carrying a dead cow about me back, you know, at Smithfields and plastering yeah. and labouring. So to me, every day was, a, was just a laugh. And it still is. And is there any, was, has there been one job you've done in show business that you've regretted? Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, it was terrible. I did an Easter panto once. Right. It was really, really cheap, right? It was really, really cheap. And um, <laughs> oh, and what they did, 
they advertise it all, it's toured, toured everywhere, right? And they put in the local papers, does your dog want to be Toto, starring Joe Pasquale and, uh, and I can't remember what's in there, uh, Danny Harmer from Tracy Beaker, right? Yeah. So, and of course, anybody with a dog went, oh yeah, that's it. And so every, every town we went to, we had a different dog playing Toto every night. Sometimes you'd have a you know, nice little chihuahua, sometimes you had this great big Afghan hound. None of them were trained, right? And I was playing, I was actually playing the scarecrow. So I'm on my, my, my plinth at the back there. My opening says, there's, there's curtain comes out. And sometimes Danny couldn't even get these dogs on because they were too big. They, they were too petrified, the lights and the people. So this dog comes out, she comes out with this dog and I've got my hat down like that and I'm looking, I've got my half eyes, half, half, my eyes half right closed and half open and I'm looking at the audience squinting at them and I see this dog, she's struggling with this dog, he comes on and then all these kids are dancing around the dog and then all of a sudden I hear the whole lot and I've, I've got my eyes open, right, because I'm on my, on my little plinth up the back of my arms out like a scarecrow, I can hear, hear the whole audience go, <laughs> Right, and then I, then I hear the kids on the stage dancing, going, Ugh. So I look, I have my eyes, I look, and I, you know what's coming, don't you? Right, this dog, he decided to do his business right in the middle of the stage. Right, I don't mean we either. Right, he done a giant <laughs> number two. It honestly, it looked, it looked like a giant walnut whip right in the middle of the stage. Right, so I. <laughs> so I'm laughing, I'm really laughing. I, was, I shouldn't have been awake at this point. She hadn't even woken <laughs> up. She hadn't woken up at all. And all the kids are trying to step over this big poo. So I just climbed down off my plinth and I put my hat over it. Luckily, I thought it was high enough to hide it, right? Of course, the audience went to the knickers laughing at it. And I went back on my plinth and got back up. But we didn't have a chance to clean the poo up until the interval of the show. So, of course, everybody's moving around. It was, it was everyone skipping up. Like, ooh, ooh, like yeah. And I think that was probably the worst show I ever did. It's so funny doing it this via Zoom because I, I want to laugh, but I'm not making a noise because otherwise <laughs> it cuts you out. But, you know, you, we've all heard the Cinderella stories and I've been in a couple of Cinderella's when they used to use live ponies. And it wasn't nice, Deb, it was horrible. Not, not that any dog poo is nice, you know. I've got, I'm, you know, I'm just talking out the back of my head here. I've never seen a nice dog poo, if I'm honest. Dog poo is dog poo and it's never nice. Let's leave it there. <laughs> this is true. You've had this incredible career and you've done so many royal gala performances. Yeah, you know you're a real popular, aren't you? With the popular one with the royal family. Yeah, so, I'm not quite sure why that happened, but it just um, it just seemed to evolve, really. Can you remember your first one, and you know, in in the lineup or before you went on, were you nervous? Yeah, I was on all of them. I was I was petrified, and um, I remember one of them. There's just you know with those sort of shows. There's always memorable things happening, right? Mm. And I remember one. I'd done the Des O'Connor show. Oh, it must have been about. 10 years before this one happened, right, this story. And on the, on the Des show, uh, one of them was Barry Manilow was on it, right? And I met Barry and had a picture. My mum loved Barry Manilow and he was great and had a picture done with him. So 10, 12 years later on the Royal Variety Show, top of the bill is Barry Manilow. Now, I didn't know him well. I'd met him that once. So I'm not going to go around his dresser and knock on his door and say, hello, Barry, how are you? I'm not going to do none of that. Mm. So um, anyway, we're in the lineup, uh, rehearsing the lineup in the afternoon. I'm, in, I'm next door to Hank Marvin on one side and Robson and Jerome on the other side. And they'd done their big single, you know, for uh, first uh, Simon Cowell at the time. And, uh, and, and Barry's at the front there. And then uh, we're just chatting away. I'm talking to Hank and then I'm talking to the, uh, the two lads. And then uh, Barry Manilow turns around and starts waving to somebody in the next row behind. And, and everybody's looking at who's he waving at. And it looked like he was waiting to bus for us. So I said to Hank Marvin, I went, 
oh, Hank, I think Barry Manlow's waving at you. He went, why is that? I said, I don't know, you better ask him. He went, I don't know the man. So I said, oh, right, okay. So he ain't waving at me. So I said to, uh, to Wilson Jerome, I said, do you know Barry Manlow? He's, I think he's waving at you. And they went, where? I said, oh, yeah, look. I said, no, we never met him. He won't be waving at us. So they went, I think he's waving at you. So they went, no, he ain't waving at me. I said, do you know him? He said, well, I met him once, but I can't say I know him. No, I think he's waving at you, right? And he stepped out, Barry Mando stepped out. He went, Joe, Joe, like that. So, and he's waving at me. So I went, hello, Barry. And he went, do you remember me? Right, and I went, what? You're Barry Manilow. How do I not remember you? And, oh, I'm so glad you remembered me. So, yeah, you're Barry Manilow. You're a bit difficult to forget. He was really nice like that. He remembered me from Des O'Connor 12 years beforehand. Isn't great. that just lovely? I mean, you know, we've all got little stories about things like uh, people we consider, you know, the biggest stars and yeah. in awe of. And then if they know your name or something, you kind of go to jelly a bit. <laughs> well, no. I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. I still do it, even now. I remember on that first Royal Variety show, I went to the loo and I was having a wee and Harry Seacombe came in and he's standing next to me having a wee right next to me, right? And so I run back to the dressing room and Bradley's there. Bradley Walsh was in there as well. There was me, Bradley and Darren. We were the newcomers on it. And I run into the dressing room and, and, and I was really excited and Brad's sitting there cool as a cucumber. He went, what's happening, Squeaky? What's the matter? Why are you so excited? And I went, I've just been in the toilet and I saw Sir Harry Seacombe's willy, right? <laughs> as I said that, as I said it, Harry walked past the door and stuck his head in and went, what, what, what? Like that, and it was brilliant. He was a lovely man too. I know you reasonably well, Joe. We've met a lot over the years. Yeah. And I know that, you know, despite whatever, you've done all these great big things, but you always stay Joe Pasquale. And also, I think when you first came into the business and you were making a name, you yeah. know, your distinctive voice, yeah. everybody was saying, is it his real voice or is it put on? Yeah. You know, and you were, you used to have people going so much and still do. Yeah. I know, I, the thing is, um, it's when I get excited, when I'm working, that it does go up a lot more. As you hear at the moment, I'm still excited, it's gone up a little bit, but it's not like working level. But when I work, if something really, really good I'm doing, I get so excited and it goes, and I, I did a lot of, well, I still do quite a lot of voiceovers. And I did um, I did one with, um, oh, who was in Long Good Friday? Um, uh, uh, it was the actor, Long Good Friday, you know what I mean? Oh. Bob Hoskins, Bob yeah. Hoskins. Bob Hoskins, yeah. And uh, it was for nappies. And it's the first time, normally when you do uh, an advert, a voiceover mm. advert, and you've got somebody else in it. You do your bit, and then they come in another day or another time, they drop mm. it in. Well, this day, they said to me, Bob Hoskins is going to be here soon. So, well, where's Bob Hoskins coming in? It's amazing. So he came in, and I had all the lines. There were two babies on the screen. Let's lip sync to these babies. And it was about selling nappies. And I'd have to go, there were two babies sitting there. One was about three, the other one was about a year old. And the older one was saying, they wrote this script saying, uh, Mummy says we've got to wear greens. If we don't all wear greens, then we won't grow up to be a big boy. So you've got to wear greens. Don't forget your greens. Come on, eat your greens up, eat your greens up. And Bob's, Bob's line, all he had to say was, Aye. That was all he had to say. So, of course, I'm doing these lines with Bob Hoskins sitting opposite me. I'm going, it's Bob Hoskins in my head, right? And so I do, well, my, my, eat your greens, eat your greens. And then Bob had to say, hey, but he didn't. And there was a big gap. And uh, the director tapped on the window. He went, Bob, that was your line then. He went, what? He said, you had to say, hey. He went, he's putting me off. So I said, well, I, I'm not putting you off. He went, that voice, how do you talk like that? <laughs> I said, well, it's just the way I talk, Bob. I said, everybody talks like that. He went, no, I don't. He said, I've heard it come out of a bird before, but I've never heard that voice come out of a bird. <laughs> How do you, you talk like a bird? So I said, no, well, it's just the way I talk, Bob. So and the doctor went, can we do it again then, please, Bob? And he went, yeah, 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 fine. 
So he did it again, and he's staring at me. He didn't do it. He went, well, what's the matter? He went, it's him. He's putting me right off every time he opens his mouth. And I had to leave the studio just so Bob Hoskins would go, hey, on his own. <laughs> well, that's a brilliant one. I mean, that really is, isn't it? And yeah. I know you've done, I mean, I can remember you, you did um, the voiceover for the movie of Garfield, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that came about from, strangely enough, from Bob Hoskins, because after we did that, Bob would play the bulldog in that movie and he put my name up for it and I got part, part of the mass. So after that day, it was him that got me the gig on that. Oh, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and you did, you've done a few others. What, what was the one to do with Frank? There's one to do with Frankenstein's cat. Yeah, Frankenstein's cat. And also did uh, Horton Here's a Who with Jim Carrey and Steve Carell. That was great. That was brilliant. And what's amazing about that was, because uh, it was, um, uh, I'm not sure how sure it made it. I think it's Universal, that one. But they, had, they film your lip. And the animators, after they after you've done the main animation, they actually um, match the animation of your lips. They move, they copy your lips and put that your lips actually onto the cartoon. It was incredible. I didn't know that. It's so clever, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And then you know you've done so many diverse things like the jungle. Yeah. And I can remember seeing you. I don't know, maybe six months after you won, you know, the jungle and um, they just offered it to me and uh, or to Paul and I together. And we didn't know whether to do it or not. <laughs> you said to me something like, I don't think you should do it, Debbie, because I lost whatever it was, two stone in 10 days. He said, you go down the drain. Oh. <laughs> the hardest thing was the food and the boredom. It is, really is. Yeah. And then you dancing on ice. I mean, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, very, I wasn't very good at that, Deb, but you know, I, I still loved it. I loved it. I, the, the thing is, I learned other years not to say no to too many things. You know, I try to say, yes, yeah, if I can't do it, then I'll learn to do it. You know, you've done things which I think are quite brave, uh, doing the full Monty for charity. Yeah, um, I loved doing that. That was great. But the only thing was, that was um, when I knew I got the gig, I'm up with Ashley Banjo and, and, and all the young young blokes 30 years younger than me, and you know you've got to get your kit off. So uh, that was what, what instilled me to lose the weight and get fit and physically fit and look better. But, you know, it's going to be online for the next 20 years, do you know what I mean? You want to look good. But the worst thing was, at the very end, uh, whilst we did it, um, there's like everybody's really excited, everybody's Way! all of that sort of stuff. And they did like a rugby scrum. And of course, I'm next to Ashley Banjo. And then all of a sudden, there's like 30 other blokes that are naked. And I'm in the middle of them all doing a naked rugby scrum. And I couldn't get out of it. Oh no, there's willies everywhere. And I'm banging on my legs. And I get out. There's like 30 willies banging on my legs. I'm like, oh, this isn't right. So I'm like, it's like Caligula. It's like the Roman. Oh no, I thought like in the Roman baths. It was horrible. Didn't like it then. Oh no, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure you had a shower straight afterwards. So <laughs> going back to um, the last few months, and I know, weren't you rehearsing Panto? Yes, uh, I was. We lasted uh, we lasted four shows. Then they went to tier three and that was it. So we did a couple of, a couple of shows and then they shut us down because of the... Um, whereabouts was that? That was in Southampton. All oh, right. So, yeah. But it was a weird experience, wasn't it? Looking out on this social distance audience and they're all in masks and the children can't shout. And No, I know. It was weird, wasn't it? It was a weird concept. It was, I still, in saying all of that, after the first show, the first show was weird. And then I think we adapt very quickly as performers. Yeah. Okay, this is what's going on now. And you adapt to it really quick. 
Yeah, and I think we just all felt this is amazing that we're actually doing a show for these people. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I'm going to let you go because I could talk to you all day and hear a hundred more of your stories to make me laugh. But it's just so lovely to see you and send my love to the family. Thank and, you. Uh, you know, let's hope it's not too long before uh, you're back out there with some mothers do have them. And uh, yes. I'll have to try and come along and see it. Spill the tea with Debbie McGee. You know you want to. Don't you just love people like Joe that are just so natural and so naturally funny? And it's a shame you can't see him on the Zoom that I recorded that podcast on because he's just so laid back and wonderful. So thanks to Joe. I really, really enjoyed that. But my next podcast that will be coming up next time is with somebody else who's equally as interesting, um, a really bubbly girl. And it's Suzanne Shaw from Hearsay and my goodness what she's done in her life. So join me then on Spill the Tea with Debbie McGee. Spill the Tea podcast with Debbie McGee.